Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Good morning, everybody. How are you? My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we welcome you, especially if you're a guest with us today. Thank you uh, so very much for being with us. It means so much to have folks visit us for the first time or come back after a long time. And those of you who are with us online, we welcome you guys as well. In fact, can we give all those guys a hand, everybody? Welcome, everybody. So glad you're here. Thanks for joining in. Um, we are in a series that I'm, I'm just absolutely loving called The Songs of Summer. And I'm going to jump into one of my most favorite psalms. And, and, and by the way, let me just say this before I move on. Um, we had baptisms a minute ago, and we're going to have some more in the next gathering. And if that's you, if that's what you're ready to do, we'd love, love to celebrate that with you. I was out in the ho- lobby before while that was going on, and there's just a bunch of people out there. And it's just a beautiful thing, and we'd love to celebrate that with you. Um, today we're jumping into one of my favorite of all of the psalms. Honestly, this psalm is so loaded and locked in with truth that I'll never be able to get through it all. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon called it a Bible within itself. He said that it contains too much uh, for a thousand pens to write. And just so you're relaxed, I'm not going to try to preach a thousand messages today, okay? Um, and, and, And it's an unusual psalm for David. It's the psalm of David. David the king wrote it. It's a, it's a psalm that's not a prayer. There are no requests in it of God. There are no complaints. And in fact, most of his psalms, many of his psalms would have one or all of those things. Um, in fact, it's not even written to God at all. Uh, it's written um, to David's own soul. And we'll see that in a moment. And, and it's, it's a sermon to, to David's own soul that he's preaching to himself Um, of pure praise coming from a grateful heart for what God's done in David's life, for what God's done in his nation. Um, And he he references that in verses six and seven. And and it's why I love this uh, psalm so much. I think God loved hearing David sing this. And eventually the nation of Israel would sing this. this. The psalms are a collection of songs and hymns and poetry that the nation of Israel would sing, it's their song book, and, and it's right in the middle, uh, essentially, of the Bible. And, and I think it's, it's God's, God, God loves this in the same way that if you're a manager or, or a principal or a teacher or you lead something, we find that it's often easier for people to complain about something than it is for them to celebrate what's been right. Like, if, like I have a brother-in-law who's a principal and he's like, bro, you can't imagine the heat we get all day long from parents. And so if you're one of those parents, we're praying for your blessings over your life. Um, but sometimes it's just nice to have somebody go, hey man, great job, that was awesome. Hey, hey, hey girl, I, I, I don't know. Hey woman, I don't, I, I don't know. Anyways, awesome, good, good work. I just, I'm always like, hey brah, you know. Um, uh, but, but, I think God loved hearing it because he's heard a lot of complaints. Do you think God hears a lot of complaints? Yes or no? Come on. Does he get a lot of whining? Come on, yes or no? Is he okay with it? Yeah, yeah, he is. But to receive just a pure, unadulterated praise, I think was probably a breath of fresh air to God. We don't know why David wrote it. We often do. 
We don't know the circumstances surrounding it. We often know that. We don't in this one. Um, Maybe he's just older now and he's looking back over his life and he's counting his blessings. This is what he does, in fact. He knows how good God's been to him. He's reminding himself of the goodness of God and it, a praise erupts and he writes what he feels. And here's how he starts, Psalm 103, verse one. Praise the Lord, my soul. The older translations say, oh, my soul. They also include the word, bless the Lord, which I love. Praise the Lord, my soul, and all my inmost being, or all that is within me, at the deepest levels of myself, praise his holy name. He ends the whole psalm like this as well. I, I love this notion, like the ESV, the King James, of bless the Lord, O my soul. This, this idea of blessing God back for all of the blessings he's given to us. And the word blessed there has this idea of, of a joyful and deep uh, soul-level gratitude, right? So, so not just a, a quick, hey, thanks. Not, not just that. It's his it's, it's inmost being, his innermost part where his, his will is. He's willing himself to do this. Where his deepest emotions are, his, his deepest affections are, he's calling from that well. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. And, and I think he's showing us that there are moments in our lives, certainly there were moments in his life where, where the distractions around us, do we have any distractions around us, ladies and gentlemen? Do, do we, yes or no, right? Do, is there trouble? Is there, is there chaos? Is there confusion? Is there division? Yes to all of those things. And I think he's reminding us that that with all of that going on, we can forget the goodness of God. And we, for, we can forget to praise God. And we can forget to have a deep inner gratitude of blessing to God for what is good. In fact, all of the distractions around us can, help, can, can, can cause us not to see the blessings of God that are all around us. And this, I think, is why David is saying, I'm commanding you, soul, to bless, to, to praise his holy name. He's forcing himself to focus on the goodness of God. We, we've said this before, but our lives tend to move uh, in the direction of our strongest thoughts. When you think about that, the things that we focus on um, we empower. So if we focus on fear, we empower fear. If we focus on our faith, we empower our faith. And we tend to move in the direction of the things that we focused, we focus most on. David has learned this throughout his life that if he will give focus to something his life can turn, his life can change. He understands this, he knows that worship and blessing um, can, can change the sort of atmosphere that he's living inside of, right? It, so part of worship, and I just wanna give a, a brief theology of worship. P part of worship means that we think about God, about his attributes, about his character, about his love for us, like really zoning in on his greatness, on his goodness, 
and, and responding in worship. So in fact, when Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, he says, start like this, our Father. Come on, I'm gonna go old King James. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Start by going, oh yes, let me remember who it is I'm, I'm talking to. Focus on the greatness, our Father, who is in heaven, who inhabits all of space and all of time and the universe. It's all in the palm of his hand. That's how big our God is, right? And, and, and so, he's, and, and so, so and, and in the process of that, of that focus, and, and by that process I mean of focusing our mind's attention, this is what worship is, focusing our mind's attention and our heart's affection on the goodness and the greatness of God. And in the process of focusing my mind's attention and my heart's affection, right, um, the soul which gets beat down, which gets tired by life, did you know your soul can get tired? Right? You're like, what is the soul? It's that inner part of you where your emotion, your, where your spiritual heart is, right? That can get tired. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew, he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. So, so, so in part of how the mind can affect the soul is the mind can say, hey, soul, I know we're tired. I know we're beat down. Hey, perk up. We're renewed. There's hope. God's with us. God's good. God's for us. We're going to move forward. And the soul be like, I'm too tired. Come on, like Eeyore. Come on, everybody remember Eeyore? Yeah, like, like, like Eeyore. I can't do it. But the mind, this isn't psychobabble. The mind has the power to say, no, 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 no. Bro, we're getting up. We're going to worship our God today. We're going to praise our God today. We're going to focus on the goodness of God today. And, 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 and we find the fuel to do that in worship, in blessing the Lord. This is why David commands his own soul to bless the Lord. Maybe his soul was heavy. Maybe it was tired. He's like, I'm going to give you, soul, I'm going to give you a little shot, a little drug called praise. And, and, and worship um, become, is like rocket fuel for the soul. If you're tired, if you're weary, if you're discouraged, if you're beat down, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, right? And, and what happens is not in a day, not in a moment, but, but, but over the time of going, I'm going to worship even when I don't feel like it. I'm going to bless God even when I don't know what's going on around me. S something happens, and, and you realize the spirit of heaviness is not on me anymore. I've exchanged it for a garment of praise. Come on, that's, that's, the, that's the word of God. The soul is lifted. The weight is lifted. And now my soul starts to breathe, everybody, in the presence of God. Bless the Lord. And why does David tell himself to do this? He tells us in verse two, right? Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his, say it with me, his, his benefits. And forget not all his benefits. And, and he says in Psalm 68, look at this. He says, he says, blessed be the Lord who, what? Who daily, what? Loads us with benefits. It's like a big pile of blessings. Grace, he gives us grace. He gives us grace on top of grace, right? He daily loads us with be benefits. And, and notice he says, and forget not all his benefits. Now, this isn't a function of memory that he's referring to. It can, it can be that, but it's much more that, than that. This is David calling himself to a kind of active 
loyal faith, to a kind of fealty uh, to, to God himself. Forget not means force yourself to practice the calling, uh, uh, the calling of, to, our, uh, to our minds uh, to the goodness of God, right? Force yourself to the practice of remembering the goodness of the daily benefits that he's loading us with. For sure, I'm driving to work and I'm like, I don't really love this car, but I'm grateful for this car. Come on, somebody, right? Like I'm grateful that last week I was paying $5 and come on at Walmart at least right here. This is the honey hole, everybody. $4.26. Like it was $99 to fill my little forerunner last week, 80 something dollars this week, woo! I don't know why I think that's good, but praise God that he daily loaded me with cheaper gas. You got to find something. Come on, everybody. You got to find something. If y'all wonder what I did, I grew up Pentecostal and we used to dance like that, man. Somebody might even take a lap. Don't do it because we'll cut you a little bit for Jesus. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And most of you don't. You're like, what is that brother talking about? Some of y'all been in a church where they might buck and shout is what we called it. Woo! And then we, and we play this little rift and everybody, woo! He brought me out of the mire clay. Oh, sorry. Y'all don't know. Y'all don't know about that. Forget not all his benefits. Force yourself to create a practice inside of you of going, what has God done for me today? That's what he means. It's not just, hey, don't forget that he did some good stuff for you. Force yourself to practice the calling to mind. And, and so this is why David, this is why David's worship was all, and we're gonna see it in this psalm, was always rooted in two things. Who God is and what God has done. He starts out by reminding us what God's done, but he's gonna end with who God is. See, see there, are thing, there are times in, in life where you go, Danny, I don't see God's hand at work in my life. Like, that's not, that's, that's not blasphemy. You're like, I'm looking around, bro, in my, li- in my life, I don't see it. And this is why worship is rooted in both the, the hand of God, the doings of God, what he's done, what's obvious that you can see, but also in his personhood, in his character, in, in his nature, because there are times when you don't know what God's doing, and there are fact, t- times where it feels like, it, it feels like, it's not true, but it feels like God's not doing anything. And we feel like Job did in, in, in Job 23, where he says, and I, I, I looked to the left where he's at work, but I didn't see him. And I went to the right over here, but I couldn't find him there. I went, I went to the north. He says, behold, he wasn't there. I went to the south. I couldn't find him there either. And then in verse nine, he says, and, but he knows the way that I take. And when he's tried me, I will come forth as gold. Meaning I, I don't see him, but I know him. I don't see what he's doing but I know he knows me. And when our worship is rooted in who he is, which is unchanging, which is always loving, and what he's done, there's always something then to bless the Lord, oh my soul, about. 
right? And even in some of the darkest days of your life, and I can remember some of those in my own life where it seems like God not only isn't hearing my prayer, it feels like he's distant, like he's far away, and there's not even a little glimmer of hope so that I could say, hey, well, praise God for at least for this little thing. The praise that arises from your heart in those kinds of moments where you don't know where he's at are the kinds that I think possibly move God more than any. And I think it's probably what it means to offer to God a sacrifice of praise, Hebrews says. And God loves that. And so maybe this is a season where David is not feeling it. He's not feeling the presence of God. He's not sensing it. And, and, and so he's saying, well, but I remember who he is. And I know what he's done. And this is what David is doing in this psalm. He starts to call to mind the hand of God, the doings of God in his life. And so he says, praise the Lord. Bless, praise the Lord. Uh, can we get verse two again? Praise, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Who, here's one of the benefits. Who forgives, say this with me. Wait a minute, come on, go back. Go back. Who forgives all your sins. Is that something to praise God for, yes or no? Who forgives all your sins. And he heals all your diseases. Now look at this, look at this. Forget not all all his benefits, all, forgives all sins, heals all your, your diseases. This is deeply comprehensive. Like, like, I don't know how comprehensive your health benefits are at your work. This is comprehensive. Like, there isn't some doctors that are out of network. God's always on call every moment of every day. And, and, and so he's saying, hey, look at the grace of God. Look at the comprehensive grace of God. He's got all these benefits that he daily loads us up. He heals all your diseases and he forgives all of your sins and he's loading them up daily. By, by the way, that's the best news you're gonna hear today. You're gonna hear any day, right? Because so, so, here's, here's why it matters that the word all your sins is there, that phrase. Because some of us, even some of us believers who've been doing this a long time, we blow it from time to time, yes or no. We do stuff that we're ashamed of, that we wish we didn't do. And, and, and sometimes, come on, let's just be real talk. It's stuff that we repented over before a hundred times. And we keep coming back to them and we say, God, I'll never do that again. And so I'm so glad the word all your sins is there because that means God intends to forgive and has forgiven all of my future sins, not just the ones in my past right? So, so think about that. Some of us, especially if you grew up a little bit like I did, you, you think, hey, when I come to Jesus and I say, Lord, forgive my sins, he forgives all of my past sins, but then it's like, oh, it's a foot race between me and the devil, and hopefully I come a little bit ahead of him at the end of my life so that I get to get in. No, 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 no. That's not how it works, everybody. When Christ died to pay for, all, for, for our sins, all of our sins were in the future. Come, come on, he died almost 2,000 years ago. How many of you know, you, some of you are older, you weren't born, even not you. Come on, some of y'all. So, so he paid for the price of your sins a couple thousand years before you were even born. So all of our sins are yet to be committed sins. All of them were in the future, and, and he forgives all of our sins, past, present, and future, and, and it, it it's, a, it's an insight that some of us need because it touches how we see God. God is more willing to forgive than we are willing to be forgiven, right? But he's also the God who says, by his stripes, by the stripes that were laid on Jesus' back, you are healed. 
He is our healer and he's our forgiver. And, and, and God's grace deals with, with sin and sickness, everybody. It's the twin mercies of God. And, and, and David's experiences, he's got all of these benefits and he forgives all of our sins and he heals all of our diseases. That's grace that is comprehensive. Meaning our needs will not exhaust God's supply of grace. Our sins aren't so big that his grace cannot wash them clean. And also, our sickness, whether it's physical or mental or emotional, are not so severe that God's grace won't either sustain us through them or deliver us from them as he wills. His grace, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, to to God, Jesus says to, to Paul, my grace is sufficient for, meaning, sufficient just means enough. So that no matter how much is needed, there's gonna be enough, everybody. It's like going to grandma's house on Thanksgiving. Invite all your buddies. There'll be enough, yes or no? Grandma's got more than we need, right? His grace is simply enough no matter how much is needed. Verse four, who redeems your life from the pit. Now, let's be clear about this. This is two Parallel ideas running along a track. Number one, the pit is the grave. Death, sheol is the the Hebrew word, right? Um, But also, spiritually, he's talking about the pits, and I'll put that in quotes, that we can fall into in this life. Things that can consume us, things that have a hold on us, things that Paul would call, uh, and Jesus would say, have mastered us. That we feel... I don't know how I can escape from this thing that I've done or that I'm involved in or that happened to me, was done to me. The the, the pit might be a secret sin. It might be a season of depression. You think I'll never get out of this. It might be a self-injury thing that you're doing. It might be shame. It might be crushing guilt. It might be loss. It might be sickness. It could be an addiction to pills or alcohol or pornography. But no matter the circumstances, your God, our God is willing and our God is able to pull us up out of that pit, whatever that pit could be. In fact, David says in Psalm 40, he says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, the slippery pit, right? Here's why this is important. You ever hear that phrase, be careful, bro? That's a slippery slope, right? What does that mean? It means, hey, you're on the edge of something that if you're not careful, you're gonna slip off into and you're not gonna be able to get yourself back out of. But, but David says, he lifted me out of the slippery pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm, a sure is the word, a sure place, meaning there is, God doesn't bring me out and put me right back on the edge of the pit. He brings me way out of the pit and puts me in a sure place where my feet won't slip. I won't slide back in to the pit. But listen, he didn't just pull me up out of the, uh, out of the pit with a rope. Hey, hey, come on, grab hold of that. I'll, I'll, together we'll pull you out. Now in Jesus, God came down into the pit with us. Into the pain, into the suffering of the human condition. And he didn't just offer a helping hand. He offered his very life to redeem us to purchase us, that's what that means, to purchase us out of the spiritual pits. 
to, to redeem means to compensate for the faults or the bad aspects of something, right? It, it, it means to gain or regain possession of something by paying the price for it. That's what redemption means. So when he says he redeems your life from the pit, this is no small thing. This is no, oh, that's, that's, that's neat. No, 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 right? He, he's talking about God's downward act of, of coming in Jesus for our redemption. Th- this is the essence. This is the, the gospel, by the way. This is the gospel in Psalm 103 before the gospel came out, right? right? This is the essence of the cross of Christ. Because of our sins, we were enslaved. We, we were trapped. We were helpless spiritually. We, we didn't have dignity spiritually. We didn't have hope spiritually. And then God, and you know the gospel, the good news, and, and it's as simple as that. We were lost. We were helpless. We were hopeless spiritually, but God came to our rescue in Jesus, in the pit, in the darkness. Jesus came and set us free. And there's all these words that describe the salvation process, like justification and sanctification. But this word redemption, which is the word David uses, it talks about us standing before God in a pit, like a slave in that time, trapped, helpless, hopeless, no power on our own. Um, and, And then Jesus comes down, and, and he pays the price for our freedom. And, and, and I just have to make sure we understand how deep the words David uses are. We, we are accused, the Bible says, but he bore our punishment and he took on our blame and he took on our shame so that we could walk free, right? We, we were indebted, we are debtors, but he paid our debt. We were strangers, the Bible says in Ephesians, to him. But because of Jesus, we are made sons and daughters of most high God, heirs. We are now heirs, come on, of of the most powerful being in the universe. We're heirs of his. There's an inheritance coming, right? There are promises uh, attached. We, We were, Paul says, the enemies of God, but because of Jesus, we are the friend of God. And all of this because Jesus came down and paid the price and redeemed us up out of the pit. And and so Paul says it is for freedom. In Ephesians, I mean, uh, Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. In other words, and he goes, don't get entangled again in the the pit you were in. Don't go back to the pit. Come on, everybody. He set you free. He paid the price for your freedom so you could live free, right? Who redeems your life from, from the pit, and, and crowns you with love and compassion. The old translations say, and tender mercies. Beautiful. Like this is the grace of God, not just that he came to the pit, paid the price and rescued us out. He didn't just pull us out all dirty and all messed up and say, hope you figure it out now. No, 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 no. He crowns you with love and the tender mercies of God himself. I I can't help but think of the prodigal son in Jesus' story in Luke 15. You remember this, right? He he asks for his inheritance before his father dies, deep insult. He runs out and and, and Jesus says he lives his life riotously, like wildly, just spending, partying, having the best time ever. A famine hits the land, he finds himself broke, no friends, no job, no hope. He goes and hires himself out and feeds the pigs. Right, come on somebody, we got some ducks over here. I don't know why a church has ducks, but we do. 
And, and I'm going to just tell you, they are nasty creatures, all right? You can go look at them today. A bunch of them did after the first gathering. I didn't mean to cause an uprising over there by the ducks, but we did. Uh, but, but listen, pigs, they on a whole never level of nasty. <laughs> he wakes up. He's in a pit, so to speak. He goes back to the father's house. He goes walking back, hoping just to be a hired servant, just to work out back with the pigs or wherever. There, won't be, there wouldn't be any pigs there. But, 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 but what does he find instead at the end of the road running towards him? A compassionate father who embraces him, who, who, who cleans him up, who puts on a royal ring and, and, and a royal robe and, and sandals and throws him a lavish party. And, and, and God doesn't crown us with jeweled crowns like human beings wear. No, he crowns us with something infinitely more valuable, the unfailing love and compassion of God himself. David talking about the loyal the unending, the unchanging love of God towards us. He heaps up blessings for us and then he pours them out on us. He crowns us with him. Who, verse five, who, who satisfies your desires with, say this with me, with good things so that your youth is renewed like, like the eagle. Now, to be satisfied means I don't need anymore. I got enough. Now, some of us, when we're eating carne guisada in big red, come on, we, we go past satisfied. And then we feel miserable. Come on, right? 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 To be satisfied means I don't actually need anything else. He satisfies our what? Our desires with good things. I love the paraphrase from the message where Eugene Peterson says, He wraps you in goodness, beauty eternal. Now, here's the problem for some of us, though. You would say, Danny, you don't know what kind of life I've lived. I don't deserve good things. I haven't earned the goodness of God. But if you're a believer, I just need to tell you two things about the goodness of God. Number one, God's goodness is based on an everlasting covenant. So in Jeremiah 32, God says to the people of Israel, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. Underline this, I will never stop doing good to them. And, 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 and so when God makes a promise, he keeps it. He's not flaky, he's not flighty, he's not fickle, everybody. He is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do. And, and the second thing I want you to know about the goodness of God that reinforces the first is that God's goodness is promise-based, not performance-based. This is such a, an insight that you, you have to grab, meaning it's not based on our performance, our goodness, or our perfection. It's based on the performance, the goodness, and the perfection of Jesus Christ. The perfect, sinless Lamb of God. And the enemy wants you to be unaware of the goodness and to focus on the trouble and the chaos and the division and all of that stuff. And he gets your mind off of the goodness of God. And this is why David says, forget not all of his benefits, everybody. And, and, and so God deserves the credit for every good thing that happens in your life or mine. Every good thing comes from the Father comes from the Father, James says, right? Every opportunity, every open door, every benefit, rather than calling it good luck, calling it, call it good God, everybody. Good God. 
verse eight, let me skip, let me go quick. Now we see him moving his mind's attention and his heart's affections from the benefits or the doings of God to the character, the nature of God. Verse eight, the Lord is merciful. This is who he is, everybody. The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast, not fickle, not flighty, not dependent on my goodness or yours, in steadfast love. Now, David here is quoting Exodus uh, 34, 6. But he's not quoting the words of Moses, the, 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 the scribe here. He's quoting, quoting the words of God himself. So if you remember your Bible history, there is a moment where God wants to give Moses the Ten Commandments. He calls Moses up on the mount, uh, of the mount. Come up on the mount. Brings a, 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 a tablet of stone. It inscribes, God does, the, the Ten Commandments on the, 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 the stone tablets. Moses goes to take it back to the people, and what does he find? They've all turned to worshiping a golden calf. They've all turned from God. God says, Moses, go give me two more. Go get another tablet. Go make me another one. Come back up on this mountain. So Moses does. And Moses is there with that tablet, and God comes passing by. And here's here's what God says. The Lord passed before him, and, and God himself proclaimed about himself. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and what that means is thousands of generations. Come on, it's a long, long time. You would think when God sees his own people who he's brought out of Egypt and brought out of slavery and brought out out of, 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 of bondage, when he sees them turning to other gods, he'd be like, I'm over. I'm a lightning bolt. I'm a, come on, y'all. Don't you wish you had some lightning bolt capacity every now and then, like on Calabra right here? Like on, in the morning, just be like, nah, brah. You know? For Jesus, of course. You would lightning bolt for Jesus. Give them an invite card to LifePoint later on. When they wake up, they can come. But, but God doesn't do that. Instead, God passes by and says, I want to tell you I am Yahweh. Yahweh, and I'm going to tell you what that means to me. I am, I am merciful, and I am gracious, and I am slow to anger, and I'm abounding in steadfast love to the thousandth generation. That's the mercy. That's the grace. That's the goodness of our God. How, how is he gracious? Come on, he forgives all of our sins. He heals all of our diseases. He's slow to anger. He abounds. He, is, he has an inexhaustible supply of steadfast love. And then verse 10, he doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Do you, do you know what this means? This, there's, this word according shows up twice. It means that God doesn't do a one-for-one sort of retribution for all of our sins. Because if he did that, if every time I did something wrong, he was like, I'd be black and blue. Come on, maybe y'all wouldn't. Maybe y'all be perfectly, you know, flawless in all of your ways, but I'd be 
black and blue. But do you know, because God, the Bible tells us that God is a just God. Do you know why he doesn't pay me according to his riches? Because I have a crown of steadfast love and tender mercies. And it's because he is slow to anger. Meaning, if he had a hair trigger anger reaction, none of us could make it through this world. And, and, and you know what David is saying here? Is that though God has every good reason to deal with us according to our sins and pay us according to all the bad stuff we do, we do he doesn't. In fact, rather than looking for ways to be angry with us, he is looking for ways to be gracious to us. He is reluctant in his anger, David says. And why does he do this? And how does he do this? The reason why God does not deal with us according to our sins is because he put on Jesus what was required for our sins. The reason God does not repay us according to our iniquities is because he has placed the burden of our debts and our sin and our shame on his own son. So, so, so let's be clear here. God does not sort of willy-nilly cast aside our sins as though they were of no consequence. Rather, Isaiah 53 says, he laid upon him, upon Jesus, the iniquity of us all. God did not casually ignore the dictates of his holiness, his justness, his righteousness. Rather, he wounded Jesus for our transgressions and, and he crushed him for our iniquities. And this, is, and this alone is why you and I are here today. Because what we deserve, we did not get. And what we deserve, he put on Jesus on the cross. doesn't mean he never gets angry doesn't mean that at all it doesn't mean that he never punishes us for our for our sins the bible says that whom he loves he chastens that's what the bible says right but here's the promise in verse 9 he will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever but in psalm 30 it gives us some context it says for his anger lasts only a moment but his favor lasts when a lifetime, everybody. His favor lasts a lifetime. He's a God who crowns us with compassion and tender mercies, the old translations say, because he knows us. He knows we make mistakes. And so when he does, he doesn't come and beat us up. Romans 2 says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not fragile because it's based on his steadfast love. It's locked in a no matter what position. And then, I can't get through it all, verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Verse 12, for as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Come on, verse 17, I don't have it here, but his steadfast but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, meaning it's world without end. It never ends on, uh, to, to, to those who fear him and his righteousness to his chi to children's children's to the thousandth generation. That's the goodness of God. That's the benefits. That's the character of God. And it's always, it's, it's the, the, the fuel for our worship, for blessing God in the way David does. It's who he is. Merciful, gracious, steadfast love 
slow to anger, and it's what he's done who forgives all of your sins, who heals all of your diseases. Come on, somebody, who daily loads you with benefit, who crowns you with love and compassion, who redeems your life from the pit. Come on, that's the kind of God we serve. So I don't know, I don't know your story, and I don't know your story online, I don't know where you're coming from, but if you don't know this God, but you say, man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta know him. I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta give my life to him. You can do that here in this moment right now. Pray with me, Lord. Thank you for the word of the Lord that you gave to your servant David. Thank you, God, for how you used his words, God, to, to impact and influence us all of these thousands of years later here and now. And God, there are some of us who are in desperate need. We realize we're in a pit. We realize that spiritually we don't have hope. Spiritually we have no way to get to God but through you, Jesus. And so Lord, we confess you right now as Lord. We confess you as our Savior. We, we believe in our hearts that you raised Jesus from the dead. God, and we ask you to be the forgiver of our sins to come and lead us and guide us and direct us and protect us and, and fill us up with your good spirit, God, to empower us, to, 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 to guide us throughout our days. Lord, I pray for people who would pray that right now, God, that you would bless them, that you would strengthen them, God, that you would save them right here, right now. We thank you for the love, for the grace, for the mercy, for the favor of God. Thank you all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Before we roll out, um, by, by the way, I would love for you to read this psalm again this week, Psalm 103, um, and just reflect on what you heard today and reflect and remind yourself to praise God for his goodness. Amen, everybody, and for who he is. Um, if you gave your life to Jesus today, if you prayed with us today, or if you're, you're wondering what it would look like to do that, we're going to have prayer partners up here in a minute. You can talk to them about it. They'll pray with you about it. Or you can go by Next Step Central, which is on your way out on the left side there. We have a resource called Following Jesus. No strings attached, literally none. We just want to give it to you, and maybe it'll give you a next step, one of which might be uh, baptisms. Um, and we're going to be doing that in, in a few moments. Before I move on, I think it's important. Um, in fact, you can stand with me if you don't mind. I think it's important. Hey, can we kill that music? And John, would you just pad for a minute? Um, I think it's important we pray for our country right now. I think it's important that we, we remember what's happening in our country right now. We remember, um, f for me, I'm a pastor, I'm a leader of a Christian church, right? And I don't know any pastor, I don't know any evangelical church is not pro-life. You can get mad at me, you can throw something at me on your way out the door, but I don't know anybody who's not like yes to life, okay? But I also know that it's complicated for some, and I also know that it creates other situations and things. And so this church, let me tell you what our posture is gonna be. Our posture is gonna be, what can we do to serve in this community? What can we do to help with the needs? And, and so just, just yesterday, I had already been planning this, I already been thinking about this, I already been talking about this, 
We're gonna do everything we can, and we do already. We, we support all of these efforts to, to protect and preserve and to help children all across this city. All of our, 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 our ministries that we partner with are all about helping children people in the margins, people who need help. And we're going to step up and we're gonna do more than we've ever done, not just with our dollars, which we do, which we gave yesterday again. I, I just decided, God, help us help be, be part of the, listen, you can't just be against stuff, you gotta be for stuff. You can't just go, you know, yay to whatever, you gotta step up, roll up your sleeves and get to work, right? We gotta be the body of Christ. We gotta be the church in this city. Can't just say things, gotta do stuff. We've got to do stuff. And whatever that looks like, whatever that means, I hope, wh wherever you fall on the divide that's in our country, I hope you will recognize that we have work to do. Wherever you fall, we have work to do for Jesus in this community. And we got to go do it, all right? So I'm going to pray for the country. If you, when you give here, you're not just giving to, you're giving through. We're making a difference. Because of you, we're making a difference. Not only this community, but we have a team of 28 people going to Costa Rica on Tuesday. And we're gonna go down there and we're gonna work with a lot of amazing kids. And we're gonna, again, everything we do missionally is about children. Go, if you go look at everything that we do as a mission as a church, it's about helping children. Every, I'm a home in the Philippines. Uh, our, 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 our orphanage down in, 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 in uh, Haiti, right? Our, our missionaries in Lithuania. Everything we do is about protecting lives and serving and feeding and clothing and coming alongside of people because that's what Jesus did. We're gonna, stay, we're gonna stay on mission on that. But I wanna pray for our country right now because it's a critical time for us. Again, wherever you fall, whatever your thoughts are, some of you might be angry at me right now. Listen, let's pray for our country. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you for our nation. That's not perfect by a long shot. So many things that need to get done right and need to be fixed that are broken or are wrong. But you said if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. And God, we don't see a lot of humility, not from Christians and not from unbelief. We don't see a lot of humility. But let this house come from a posture of humility and we humble ourselves under your mighty hand and we pray that you would turn hearts. God, we can change laws and we can fix that, and we can do, but if we don't change the heart of people, God, it doesn't really help as much as it could. God, I pray that you would help us, that we would, as we turn from our sinful ways, God, and you call your people to turn from their sinful ways, not the people out there. You said, if my people will humble themselves and pray and, and turn from their wicked ways, I, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. We pray that over our congregation, God. We pray that we are part of the solution, not just perpetuating the problems. I pray, God, that in all of the complexities that are involved in this issue, Lord, that you would help us be, be image bearers of Christ, God. That we would take your image out and we would love and we would care and we would support and we would find ways to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I pray this over us in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said a good amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Our prayer partners are here. God bless you. High five somebody on the way out. Bump a fist if you feel like it. Or just totally ignore them. It's up to you. God bless.
Have an amazing day, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.